Welcome back to the Hot Top Podcast. Very excited to talk about comedy, stand-up comedy. This is going to be a fun one. I used to work with my good friend Linda back many years ago. Um, Linda, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? My pleasure. I'm happy to be here on Hot Talk. The best pronunciation of my podcast name ever, obviously, East Coast. <laughs> I love saying it. <laughs> That's awesome. So I kind of want to jump back to what got you into stand-up comedy and like, how long have you been doing it? Like, how did this, how did this come to be? My God, how did I get here? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, uh, I started doing stand-up in 2003, so it's been over 15 years now. That's when I uh, first came to Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and I came here after uh, my second divorce, which actually was a very sad time. I uh, had moved out west with my second husband in 2001, and uh he, you know, had an alcohol problem, and yeah. I mean, I love to drink, as you know, but I don't need 13 in one sitting, so <laughs> yeah. it was a it was a problem, and at the time, we had been living in southwest Utah, and I was like, well, I'm sure as hell not going to be a single gal from New York in southwest Utah, so I came down to Las Vegas by myself. Mm -hmm. I had no job, no friends, no nobody, and um, it was a it was a depressing time of life. I was pretty miserable because I really mm -hmm. loved that husband, and <laughs> and uh, so it was just me. And um, I would force myself to go out because I knew nothing amazing was ever going to happen at home. Right. So every Sunday night, I saw in the um, you know, in the newspaper or something back then, wherever I saw the listing that there was an open mic comedy. It was before Facebook. Okay. And um, so I would go to uh, open mic at this dive bar on the west side called Boomers. It's not even there anymore. Right, right. So I thought, oh, you know, they'll be in a good mood because I was in the shitter. And so I would just go every Sunday night and watch the comics and just sit by myself in the bath. And um, some of the comics really sucked. And <laughs> I was like, you know, if I were to do this, I wouldn't be that bad. And so I actually got inspiration by the, from the people that sucked. And so uh, one night I decided I was going to sign up. And in this, this uh, stage, you signed up two weeks in advance. And mm -hmm. I was like, nobody knows me. I could totally bomb. Who the hell cares? And I should say my background, I, I'm a technical writer. Right. And I'm also a corporate trainer. I have a strong writing and training background. So I was used to being in front of people. And what's funny is that when I was nine years old, I sent my jokes to Johnny Carson. And Really? Oh, Gold. They were freaking gold. I can remember two. One is not original, but it was my favorite joke, and I thought he would find it hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, how did Captain Hook die? I don't know. He wiped himself with the wrong hand. Yeah. 
so you see, I had an appreciation for humor, but then I, I knew I had to write my own stuff. Yeah. And I knew that Johnny's audience was late night adults and I was nine, but I wanted to show I could address the adult audience. <laughs> so um, I came up with this joke, what's pink and squishy and lies on the bottom of the ocean? No, no. Mo Moby's dick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> needless to say. This is, this is at nine. At nine. That was oh. brilliant. That was freaking brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> well, needless to say, that was my first experience with rejection. They were <laughs> my jokes were returned unopened, and I was crushed. Oh. And um, but I mean, if they're gonna return them, you'd think that at least open them up and go, "My God, you're nine <laughs> and then send them back. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, and it, so I knew that I, I, you know, it was it was funny because like a lot of times, an interest that you had in childhood mm -hmm. comes up to the surface many years later. Sure. And um, so, and I was not a class clown. I was a bookworm. I was quiet and shy. And um, but you know, I I just decided that one night that I was like, you know. I would be better than these guys that suck. And so I uh, went up to the MC afterwards and I said I wanted to sign up. And at that point, at that time, we had to sign up two weeks in advance. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, cool. We need some female comics. And for the next two weeks, I just wrote down every funny thing I had ever thought of in my life and put a set together. And all it was was five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that day, I mean, you would think I was driving to the executioner. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I had hives. Uh, I, oh. A few of my friends from my divorce support group were there because I didn't have any real friends here. And um, that was, I, I did five minutes and I was like, I am never fucking doing this again. I just wanted to do it, check it off the list and, and on with life. And there was a woman in the audience named Cozy Stone, and she came up to me afterwards, and she's like a good-sized black woman, and she's like, I want you on my stage. And I'm like, oh, fucking hell. So <laughs> I couldn't say no because she's a big girl. And I was like, okay. And so she would book me different places and mm -hmm. um, not for pay. <laughs> But it was right. just, you know, good to get stage time. So every yeah. every once in a while, I'd just scare the shit out of myself getting ready to perform. And I, I'd really be shaking. It was like a surreal experience. Yeah. And and that's how it started. And then I would just go to more open mics and, and get booked different places. And uh, that that is how that's how I got started in it. And so I got to tell you, you really – you, you you jumped into something that is so fantastic for me because I'm such a fan of comedy, but I love that peeling back the curtain and get, like, I love Saturday night live. Right? I, I mean, I think I've been watching it literally since I was born or very close to it. Um, I'm actually a little older, older than SNL, but that's, that's a different story. Um, but I read a book one time that was like just 
these little snippet interviews from people throughout the cast from like all of that period. And so kind of getting that look behind the scenes is, is really interesting. So like you telling me that so many of these people, when they're working on like a five minute set or a 20 minute set, like that's months. It's an eternity. Forever. (laughs) And you're like, screw it. I'm going to just do it in two weeks. Let's go. That is like, I love that. That is so great. That's like you said, it's, it's that, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just go do this. If I'm ever going to do it, now's the time. You're, you're not bringing like a thousand friends from work and, and all of that shit. You just screw it. I'm going, I'm going to do this. It'll be a one-time thing. That is glorious. I love that. So she says, I want to start booking you. Um, How much, how much time did you then start devoting to like writing or, or at the beginning, was it really just the, uh, screw it. I'll just put something together and just kind of go like, were you doing the same set or were you kind of like constantly writing? No. Well, back then I had, I didn't have a job. And I, I do have a day job and I've had, as you know, cause we work together. I've always yeah. had a day job, um, you know, since like 2005, I guess it did take me a while to get a job here, but I, w- I did have, I had time to write and I wrote a lot and, um, and I wrote, I mean, I kept a journal because I, I didn't, you know, I was by myself and, it, and so I think it's important that when you're going through phases of life where things are really sucking, it's, it's better to get, get your shit down on paper, get it out of your head and then have it on paper. And then you're not carrying it around with you anymore. Yeah. So I was doing that kind of writing and, you know, and I would find funny things to say, even though I was really sad and pissed off, there were still some funny things. So I, I was writing constantly. And eventually what I, I found is that I had a, a body of work in my journal about starting over alone in Las Vegas. And I mean, I was um, like 40, 45 or 46 at the time. I was in my mid 40s. So I wasn't mm-hmm. a kid starting comedy. You know, I wasn't in my yeah. 20s. And um, oh, another thing that I did during this time to cheer myself up what everybody does when they're feeling down. I became a hospice volunteer. So, um, Whoa, that's like super cheery. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, it's funny because I was a hospice, but I became a hospice volunteer back East after my first divorce. And mm-hmm. then when I came out here, I'm like, you know, somebody will appreciate me <laughs> in the hospice. And I was like, Obviously, I'm not good with long-term relationships, so fuck that. You know, they got six months to live. You know, I can keep it together and stay on their good side that long. So, um, so, so I would just, like, write my daily stuff in a journal and go into the mm-hmm. hospice and looking for a job. And, and then I looked at all the stuff that I had in my journal, and I was like, you know, I was starting to do comedy more, and I was getting friends, and... And I thought maybe somebody could like learn from this experience. Yeah. And, and so I decided to write a memoir mm-hmm. and now a journal does not make a memoir. Right. Um, and I knew that I had to craft it. And so I joined the Henderson writers group and I became very active in them and with them. And eventually I was vice president for a few years 
And like with their help, I put this goddamn memoir together and I called it Bastard Husband, a love story. And it was about, it really was a love story, but it was more like about love for myself and like going through this shit and, and coming out the other side and doing exciting things and challenging myself and, and writing that book was part of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I always wrote and then I got the day jobs and the writing went on the back burner <laughs> and that's what yeah. happens, you know? Well, I'm kind of curious, did, did the writing and the comedy, um, obviously not the hospice uh, job, that couldn't have been, but was the writing and the, the turning that, uh, turning the memoir, you're turning the journaling into a memoir, uh, was that helping with the depression? Is that, was that part of the catalyst of kind of coming out the other side of that? It, it was. Um, actually, the journaling helped keep my spirits up because mm -hmm. I could get the shit out of my head and onto the page. Yeah. But then when I decided to write a memoir, that's, that's a craft. There, there's a craft to writing. Oh, sure. yeah. and, um, and so by then, when I decided to write the book, I was really in a different place, and fortunately, because the book is really funny, it's not depressing mm -hmm. or anything. Yeah. Um, so, it, but it, like people say, oh, I bet it was really therapeutic to write this book, and it was like, really, no, it was therapeutic to, to get the shit out in a journal. Writing the mm -hmm. book was, was like any kind of writing project. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a technical writer, um, and well, part of what I do is, is technical writing, but that's what my education is in. And believe it or not, like being a tech writer has helped tremendously in writing comedy. Really? Because, oh, hell yeah. And in all my creative writing, but, uh, you know, writing my memoir, I've had a couple of stories in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. But mm -hmm. being a tech writer, it's economy of words. With a, with tech writing, you're writing to a busy reader who needs to get in and out of a document because they're doing stuff. Right, right. And it's the same, like, say, with comedy. You have your setup, you have your punchline, and you have to get there in as few words as possible. You mm -hmm. can't, like, take the long way around to get to the punchline because then there's no punch left anymore. Yeah. So yeah. having a brain that's trained to be a tech writer has actually, I think, helped more than if I were a, a creative writer. Does that make Absolutely. sense? <laughs> it does. Actually, I mean, it really does. Again, we, I told you, I really like that kind of the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched the series, uh, the Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars getting coffee. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I literally watched every single episode, even if it was somebody I don't care for. I watched the episode, and I feel like I learned something about comedy and about the process on every single one of those episodes. And yeah, it's things like that where um, the things that are the most beneficial to to anybody, any job really, isn't always the thing that is the most obvious. Isn't the thing that you think it's going to be. It's it's kind of coming at it from a different angle. And I really like that. That's really, that's really interesting. Well, that's at the bottom of comedy. It, there has to be an element of surprise. Mm -hmm. If there's no surprise, there's nothing funny about it. If you already see it coming, it's, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what's your writing process like now? Oh, God, I don't do enough writing now. Okay. But the, the process yeah. is, is still the same. Um, and actually, I just quit my day job, and I'm going to be leaving there mid-July to focus more on writing. I want to write another book and do more comedy. Mm -hmm. But the process of writing... They're, they always say that you have to put your, you got just got to put your ass in the seat yep. and you got to sit down and just write something. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a roller coaster where you're like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to write. I, I'm not there. I'm not there. And then you go when you're just like, it, it's like a flood. Yeah. And I would say for as much crap as I generate, if there's a couple of nuggets that I can use in my act, it's all worth it. Yeah. But there's the ratio between crap and is this funny? No, it's not really. And like something that is good, that that makes it all worth it. So Yeah, and you would never find that thing. It's not like that's going to just fall out of the sky. Those nuggets aren't going to just like smack you in the head. You're going to yeah. need to kind of ass in the seat, write a thousand words, and maybe ten of them are good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is... That's how it works for me any, anyway. And I, um, I'm not like, I was going to say, I'm not like Louis C.K. In, in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not whacking off right now when I'm talking to you. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but Louis I mean, this is a laid back show, but maybe not that laid back. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, he he would throw his act away. He would just like retire his act and then like start over new. Yeah. And I'm kind of jealous of that because that takes a tremendous amount of, of material to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm more, I take more of Jerry Seinfeld's approach where his act just evolves and he brings things in and out. But there could be some things in there that are 10 years old that, that yeah. still made the cut. And that's kind of my stuff, too, where I feel like, you know, I still do some super old stuff, but I weave other things in and out. And then, you know, sometimes I get sick of stuff. And, and that's like a really important thing that you have to love your material. If you don't, I have, that's one of the lessons I've learned that if I don't love my material, my set is just not that good. I'm, I'm calling it in. And so I just feel like, you know, there's some things I still love. And if I still love it, I still do it. And it's not like, it's not like I have HBO specials out there where the whole world is going, oh, Jesus Christ, she's still doing that joke. I mean, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there's only probably a few hundred people that have actually seen me you know, more maybe, but you know what I mean? It's, um, sure. <laughs> so how do you balance that now with, you know, you've got, you've got your, uh, you're a professional, you're a tech writer, um, although you quit your job. Um, but then there's also like, you know, your, your personal brand versus your day job and career and right. all of that. Well, actually, I mean, by education, I'm a tech writer. And when we worked together, I was doing tech writing. Right. But for many years before and for the past six years, I've worked in the field of corporate outplacement. So okay. I, uh, what I do is... That's a hotbed I, for comedy, right? Well, kind of, yeah. 
<laughs> it is. So I work with people, and they're mostly management, executive level people who have been, uh, there's a lot of euphemisms in the business, but we'll say displaced, laid off, fired, whatever. Mm. Um, so they're, they're going, they're, our services, the company I work for, our services are paid for by their former employer as part of their severance package. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And, and so I've been in and out of that field since 1987. So I consider that like I'm a career strategist more than anything, but I write a lot of resumes and yeah, you know, I have to be a good tech writer to do that. So, mm -hmm. um, so as far as balancing, the way I balance it is when I'm on my stage name, my author name is Linda Lou. Mm -hmm. And that is the Linda Lou brand. And then I have my quote professional brand, but I only like fake the professional part even on a good day. And <laughs> and that's and that's Linda Maloney. And uh, so I I keep the two brands as separate as I can. I don't let my clients know. I mean, they know I do comedy, and if they ask to come see me, I say that's fine. But you know, a lot of what I, I say on stage is politically incorrect, they're swearing, and, you know, so they're, they're definitely two different brands, but I'm essentially the same person at the heart of them. It's just that at work, I don't swear as much. So. As much, right. We just kind of... <laughs> so, what parts... So, you do this, I mean, part-time. I mean, this is not like a career path for you at this point. Is that the comedy? Yeah. Yeah. No, I do it. I do it for fun. But for it's fun. something right. that, um, you know, after I'm done with my day job in July, I'm still going to do I'm still going to do resumes on the side and career yeah. consulting as on by myself, you know, um, but it'll give me more time to do more comedy. And I've never been able to really dive into it because I've always had like jobs that took a lot of time and, sure. and this most recent job was just like really getting me out of balance. And I thought, you know, when your job consumes every bit of you, there's something wrong. Plus like mm. I had to go on blood pressure medicine and then it doubled. So I'm like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Money's nice and all, but if I'm dead, <laughs> it's not going to do me any good. Hard to spend it. So what is going to go into of being a stand-up comic like you know booking shows and do you have a manager travel all of the bullshit that kind of not being on stage and not writing like what's yeah. that element there's a lot of and this is one of the things that i i really haven't done because mm -hmm. of my day job and i'm old but <laughs> i mean i'm 61 now mm -hmm. and so it's harder for me with a with a big day job to hang around the clubs and, and network and try to get FaceTime with the bookers. And, mm -hmm. and so I've never, you know, I've never really done that, but I do know comedians. And so I would say it's super important to network and to get on like the, the stages above the open mic level. And then, you know, the stages above that. And then, as you just keep doing it, you make more connections and people see you and then you kind of go up a level. And, and Vegas is hard because there's so many 
outlets for entertainment here and there's so many so it, it is a hard market but um you know i i think i would recommend people to to keep the day job because the day job enables you like i know so many comics that are taking the goddamn bus to these gigs and it's like life is just easier if if you have a car in I, I know that there's the starving artists, but I don't think you have to starve, you know? And yeah. to me, it's important to, like, you know how your parents always said, have something to fall back on? Right. And and um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I've just, comedy's been a side hustle for me. And, right. and, and it, that's fine where it's been fitting in my life, but I do want it to fit in a little bit more. Good, good, I, I like that. And I think you also kind of point out maybe there's there's kind of let's say kind of two different types of comics and actually there's probably a lot more but I'll, I'm going to just go black and white two types um, where you might have somebody who's young and with the idea of I'm going to do this as a career and uh -huh. it sounds to me like that was kind of never really in your plan. Well, first off, obviously when you first started, you're like, screw this, I'm doing it once. But yeah. <laughs> was, there, was there a point where you thought that it could turn into like, I'm going to do this for a living? Like, was that ever a thought? No, no, because I, I wasn't young when I started comedy. You know, I was 46. Right. So um, I never thought of it that way. I think of it more as something to do later on in life where it becomes more prominent. Um, but no, I, I really never had aspirations because, and, and quite honestly, I, I wasn't willing to, to, to live on a shoestring like that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that was just my, my personal choice. So I've always done as on the side as I could kind of around my day job. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's kind of an important distinction to make uh, when you're kind of getting into something like you decided to kind of take this and turn it into a, I mean, it's a hobby. It is, it's something oh, yeah. that you do, um, which is great. It's, and what I love about it is you've kind of taken some of the elements of what you're good at at work and figured out how those apply to your hobby. And so you can do them in kind of a fun way. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's super important for people to understand as well that you could do stand-up comedy actually i know a guy his name is ryan and one of his uh he has basically put it out there on the internet that by the end of i think either by the end of summer or maybe by the end of this year he is going to put together a set and go do open mic and he's he's terrified by it i am definitely going to send him this uh this recording and but yeah i mean he, it's not like he's going to quit his job. He had, he runs a company. He's not going to just quit that. But if it could be something that pulls you out of, you know, if, if you are in a job where it's very kind of corporate or maybe something that you're doing because you're good at, but maybe isn't something that like, you know, lights you up like Christmas, having something like this is great. It, it is. And, and it works the other way too, because mm -hmm. it differentiates me in the workplace. Because when I'm doing training at work, I mean, I always focus on the training objectives and make sure that everybody gets knows what they're supposed to know. But I'm like way more fun than they ever right. expected. 
and yeah. in, which which is going to be engaging for them and they're going to actually be paying attention rather oh, yeah. than going oh shit here we go with another one of these presentations yeah it's like there's no fucking powerpoint and they <laughs> they love it and they're just like i you know the, the clients love me because i'm fun and i'm funny and so it can like seep into that that stoic corporate world where they don't mm -hmm. expect it and they're like, geez, I, I'm really glad that I came to you. And I'm like, I am too. You know, this wasn't painful, was it? And, and we have fun. So, and I've also, I mean, I've always put that I, I do comedy on my resume. And the where we worked, the company where we worked together, I got that job because the guy who hired me there on the interview, he just wanted to hear about what I was doing in comedy. And That's I was great. like, okay. And then I got hired. I'm like, well, you know, I, I hope he thinks I'm a good writer <laughs> because he just wanted to know about the comedy. And it, so it's something that differentiates you in, in the corporate world as well. That's awesome. I, I wish I had known that years ago. That's, that's a great story. Um, that's fantastic. So what's next for you at this point? Where, where are you taking it? Next, you said you're going to write another book. I'm, yeah, I have two books started. I'm not sure which one I'm going to have the passion for, mm -hmm. uh, but I'll know uh, right now, um, as you know, MGM just laid off a whole bunch of people. So I'm working with those folks right now at work and I'm like super, super in over my head. So all my creative stuff is going to wait till mid July and um, whatever books that wherever the passion goes is where I'm going to go with it. And so I'm going to focus on that and, you know, writing some more comedy and traveling a bit and getting back to getting back to me because like my job just like sucked the living life out of me. And um, I kind of lost myself. So I'm just like pausing the corporate shit for now and getting back to some of my creative stuff. But um, I know you probably need to wind down, but can I tell you one quick story? It doesn't even have to be quick. Bring it. I want to hear oh, a story. Okay. Um, when, like I said, when I was a little kid, when I was nine, I sent my jokes to Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And I used to, like when we stayed at my grandparents' house, they always let us stay up till, and Johnny Carson was on till one o'clock in the morning. Oh, and I remember. Always, yeah. yeah. I was always, I always got to stay up and watch Johnny and Rich Little was on a lot back then. Mm -hmm. Well, a few years ago, I was uh, in a show at the LVH, which used to be the Hilton and now it's something else. And um, the, our comedy show was at 10 o'clock and Rich Little had a show before ours. And, and so I got there early and I was watching the end of Rich Little's show up in the balcony before our show. And then between the two shows, Rich Little came out of his dressing room and I'm up there in the balcony and he comes over and he, he said something to me that was just inane, you know, something stupid. And he goes, you can use that because like, that's what people always say to comedians. They say something, they think it's funny. Like I'm going to, you know, you can use that in your act. And um, it, it, it just really was a moment that struck me because I, I was like, here I am in Las Vegas, little Linda Haber, 
who sent her jokes to Johnny Carson. <laughs> and here I am at, at, at the uh, in Las Vegas, yucking it up with Rich Little, who I used to watch on Johnny Carson before I go on stage to perform comedy. And that was just like one of those pinch me moments. Yeah. Like anything is possible and at any age. And, you know, Joan Rivers was still doing comedy in her 80s. And right. I hope never to retire, maybe when I'm 93. So no. anything Can't is possible. Do, no. You know what I love about that? That is such a quintessential Vegas story. It, like, yeah. that, that shit just happens. Like, you just don't know who you're going to run into, when you're, and just those, that's awesome. That is a fantastic story. That's so good. You can reinvent yourself. They always say you can reinvent yourself in Vegas, and I have. And, and what's funny is when, uh, when I first started doing comedy, or even now, like people would say to my sister back in Albany, New York, where I'm from, you know, mm -hmm. they would say, Lori would go, oh, yeah, Linda's out in Vegas doing comedy. And they would go, is Linda funny? I never knew she was funny. <laughs> because I was always like a quiet kid in high school. Yeah. I mean, I was a cheerleader. I was nice, but I wasn't a class clown or anything. And even now, people will, like, I had one guy say to me, you know, when you got on stage, you don't look funny. But you're really funny. I was happy. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. You don't look funny. <laughs> I don't okay. fit any stereotype. <laughs> That's great. Linda, if people want to learn more about you and where to follow your comedy, uh, where should we go? The best place right now is, is Facebook. And just look me up under Linda Lou. Okay. And they can... Uh, friend me or send a message and say that they heard here. And that's the best way to, I'm in the process of redoing my website uh, to update it. It's been a little bit neglected while I've been in corporate la la land. Mm -hmm. So Facebook is the best place. And um, yeah. Yep. I'll link, I'll link to that in the show notes. All right. Linda, thank you so much for being here. This is so great. I love getting that behind the scenes stuff. It's so, this is the stuff that I live for. I appreciate cool. it. Well, thank I love so being on Hawk Talk. <laughs> there it is. Hawk Talk. Signing off. Until next week. <laughs>